Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pixels, a show where we talk about the news from the video games industry. And today we have a bunch of interesting things to discuss. The Game Awards just happened literally hours ago. They finished. Uh, we managed to watch all of it, uh, even though I was asleep. And then I rushed to see all of it. And there was interesting surprises. We not only have some stuff about the new Xbox console that is going to be released in at the end of next year, but we also have some game announcements and outside of the Game Awards, some rumors about the two versions of the Xbox consoles. Uh, there are also stuff from the PlayStation State of Play and Nintendo Direct, although those I'm not sure we're going to spend a lot of time on. And then a game I've been playing from earlier in the year, which I'm completely in love with and some minor announcements and to help me wade through the weeds of gaming announcements is someone who has been staying up as well to uh, watch not only the game awards but also the election in uh, the UK which we're not going to talk about too much because we'll talk about that on the Phileas Club uh, next week when we're recording our third episode of the Brexit saga should be an interesting bit. Um, hey, Daniel, you're coming back to the show. Daniel, Daniel Ahmad, everyone. Welcome. Yay. Hey, uh, it's great to be back, Patrick. And it's great to be uh, speaking with you at the end of the year to discuss, you know, what's been happening in the games industry this past year. And what a better time to do it just straight after the Game Awards. Yeah, after the Game Awards. And um, so did you get any sleep uh, last night? Uh, I did. Uh, thankfully, I managed to get a few hours. Excellent. But I did stay up. I did. I did watch the game awards, and uh, yes, the UK elections, as you said as well. And I'm still a bit tired, but but I think you know it's uh, good to get up early and sort of power through. Yes, you you were. Uh, what powered you through the night was the prospect of talking to me. I know that's right. what happened. Yes, <laughs> I set my alarm and I was like, I've got to wake up and speak to Patrick. It's it's my most important thing to do on on a Friday, and uh, you know, but it uh, is yeah, it's great, happening. Great to be back. Fantastic. So, of course, people might know you as uh, one of the foremost, can I say that, game analysts, uh, game industry analysts, in uh, at least on Twitter, but more importantly, sure. um, the foremost uh, game industry dad joke maker <laughs> on Twitter. Um, that's what, why but, we want to follow you, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I certainly, you know, I cover the China market, the Southeast Asia games market for uh, Nika Partners. And, and that, that's what I love doing. That's my passion. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I've always liked to use my Twitter for whatever other interests I have. And, and that happens to jokes. making jokes. Right, yes. are one of those. <laughs> yes, exactly. So uh, ho hopefully people find value in it. And I think, uh, you know, the, it's, it's, it's a good combination sort of balancing the two. You know, that, that games industry sort of news and analysis with uh, 
some comedy. Well, I, I call it comedy. I'm not sure what others call it. <laughs> I, I certainly look forward to, um, I, I, you know, I read a piece of news and I'm like, hmm, I wonder what uh, Daniel is going to, how Daniel is going to turn that into a uh, possibly excellent and possibly wonderfully um, cringeworthy joke. So right. that yeah. <laughs> is what I look forward to. Talking about cringeworthy, um, let's talk about the Game Awards. Uh, okay. I'm being mean. I'm being mean. <laughs> I, I, I actually love it. You know, there are a, a lot of people who, well, maybe not a lot of people, maybe in France we're more cynical, but some people think it's, um, it's kind of a, a, a cringeworthy marketing exercise. And uh, it, mm -hmm. it certainly is a marketing exercise, but it's also at the same time, things can be two things at once. It's also a uh, really nice way to celebrate gaming in a very consensual, like uh, consensual, I guess, is the French is a different, um, has a different meaning in French, but in a, in a, in a, um, like everything is, I guess it is ki kind of that word. It, everything is nice. Everyone loves each other. The industry comes together in a, a fireworks of ads and announcements. And uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's just If you are looking for controversy, that's not the place to go. Um, and everyone knows it. So I think it's uh, it's fine. Um, that being said, there were a couple of uh, things that were cringeworthy. The, the one thing I will say, it was, I don't know if it was this more the case this time, uh, this year, but it was a little bit more difficult to tell what was ads and what was trailers. And I think it might have been because actually it's all ads, you know, but uh, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely this year there was a lot of focus on, um, you know, the commercialization aspect. I think that's always been there, but this year definitely I, I, sort of, I certainly felt that, you know, I, I now know everything about Magic the Gathering, for example, <laughs> and uh, I now want to buy a Samsung QLED TV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's, you know, there's, um, I think that a lot of uh, ads were sort of, you know, repeat a lot, and I think that. I think some variation would be nice, but but you know it's all good. Yeah, it's part of the part of the experience. I think the one thing I would I would like to see would be like a hashtag ad little uh, uh, mention in a corner when it's actually a, a paid for ad. Right. Although that might get us into uh, difficult territory because I'm sure the the companies showing trailers are also contributing financially to the uh, show. I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. I don't actually know that's the case, but it wouldn't surprise me. So I don't know. I mean, honestly, it doesn't matter all that much. I, I just thought I'd mention it. Sure. Um, but yeah, the, the, there were really big announcements. Uh, and, and it's in part, uh, we're making big things of the little scraps of information we get. But there were some interesting tidbits, especially for the Xbox Series X, which I think mm -hmm. the internet has taken to rename the Xbox Sex, which is also fine. Um, Series X, I think it works. It's a weird name, but <laughs> that's the name of the at least series of consoles we're going to see next year um and we're going to be talking about this for just a second and then we'll move on to the other games and also cringeworthy moments uh, not a lot of information but um the 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 device 
Uh, at least that was, we're guessing, the powerful version, if there are two versions. Uh, it looks kind of like a tiny PC. It's a tower. It can be used uh, horizontally if you wish to. But um, the information we got was first, there's a share button added to the controller. Uh, the controller itself is very similar to the one for the Xbox One X. It does have a, um, a D-pad that is inspired by the uh, expensive Elite series of the Xbox controllers. Um, um, the device will have four generations worth of compatibility, at least with first-party games, and it will kind of bring back the games you bought. That's the way I understood the announcements and the discussions uh, Phil Spencer had with GameSpot. Um, it will bring back, if you bought things on the Xbox Game Store, you can use them, and hopefully if you uh, have the discs, you can just put them in, into your console and, uh, and start playing. Um, it will also have things like multiple games suspend state, which is pretty cool and stuff like that. They also showed Senua's uh, Saga, which is Hellblade 2. It looked really good, as you can imagine, as you can expe expect. This is a game for the next generation, and whew, it looks like graphically very, very good. And the trailer itself was really intense as Hellblade uh, has been, you know, the game itself has been kind of intense. But that there was like Senua singing the weird chant that was, yeah, it chilled you to the bone and it was really, uh, uh, it got you going. Um, so that's it on the uh, Xbox side. Anything that struck you in that presentation? It wasn't a lot, but there was some stuff. Yeah, it wasn't a lot, but I think it, it was something that Microsoft has been planning to reveal for a long time. And this is sort of their message to the core Xbox user base that, you know, already has an Xbox One, perhaps, or even, you know, the core PlayStation 4 user base to kind of show that, you know, look, whilst we are expanding our ecosystem to, you know, cover multiple entry points, multiple devices, we are still catering to, you know, this, this kind of this core gaming crowd. And so that's why Xbox uh, Series X has this sort of, uh, you know, very large feature sets, backwards compatibility, uh, the new controller. And it's, it's all about showing that, you know, we still have this $300, $400, $500 console that you can buy into and you'll get your traditional, you know, console experience. And it's something that if that's what you want, that's the option for you. And so they're really positioning this as sort of the, you know, peak performance Xbox for next generation. So you're you're kind of implying in this uh, uh, description, in this analysis, that there's going to be another. I mean, they've they've kind of hinted at it. They, there have been uh, rumors, and maybe we can mention this here at the top of the show. Um, the there are there is another uh, device that will also be sold, which will be maybe uh, geared towards less demanding uh, uh, gamers, a less demanding crowd. Um, it wouldn't have a, according to the rumors, it would not have a, a disc, a physical media player. So it would be all digital um, and it would be less powerful. So it would aim for 60 frames per second, but at a lower resolution than 4K, it would be 1440p instead of uh, essentially uh I can't remember how much it is, but 2K, uh, 2KP, which is the 4K resolution. <laughs> um, and it wouldn't have a... a, a digital drive which brings down the price uh sure. i 
by a significant amount, actually, some uh, listeners of my French show mentioned that it is there is licensing issues and the disc is actually a, a significant portion of the price. Um, and it would be compatible and it... Uh, Hmm. Supposedly, it will also play the xCloud uh, as a part, a big part of the ecosystem. So you would play the games locally at a less uh, graphically performing uh, 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 power. But you could, uh, if you have the, the connection that can do that, which supposedly if you buy that console, you do, you can play xCloud at the highest fidelity that the games can offer. So it would be kind of a compromise, but... Not really. Um, that's the one I guess you're thinking of when you're saying this, what they showed there with like the black thing and the tower and the uh, uh, this is for gamers with tons of features. Um, that's what you're referring to. What do you think about that rumor of an, another device? Sure. I mean, even putting that, you know, that rumored console side uh, for a second, when you look at what Xbox is doing across the board, they're, they're really trying to focus on... Uh, you know, what attracts people to a gaming ecosystem, and that is the software, that's the services, that's the platform. And what they want to try and do is reach as many games as possible and across as many devices as possible. So there are multiple entry points. For example, uh, the, the uh, Series X console we talked about for traditional console gamers, but then even down to the low end to mobile devices for people who want to perhaps play games in the cloud. Uh, there's PCs and you know, you've got the Windows 10 store, but also Steam, where players can access Microsoft first-party titles, but also, you know, other Xbox-published titles on, on those platforms. And then, of course, you have sort of like a mid-range console, which is the one that, that's rumored, where, yes, you get sort of that, that mix of performance where you, get, you can play games locally. It's it's not as high resolution, but then also you can play games in the cloud on, on that system and I think if if you look back, even just to the last generation of consoles, the traditional model was, okay, if you want to play uh, Halo, for example, you need to spend $300, $400 on the console for an Xbox 360. You have to spend $60 on a game, and that's it. And that's a big barrier to a lot of people. Now, uh, there's multiple ways to sort of enter this Xbox, Xbox ecosystem. Yes, you can spend $400 and $60 on the game, but also you can use your existing PC or your existing mobile device. You can subscribe to a Game Pass service for $10 a month or even less through promotions and play games that way. And it's all about you know, Microsoft trying to reach this, this broad user base uh, through the, the software services and, and devices that uh, people already have, for example, and, and appealing to them with the right business model. So whether it's subscription-based services or a $60 payment in order to... You know, really grow this user base and reach as many people as possible and ultimately position Xbox as sort of the big gaming brand and service as opposed to the traditional home console that it, it's been known for for the past right. sort of, you know, 10 years. I guess the, the, the Phil Spencer did say, like, the name will reflect the possibilities of the console a few days ago. And Series X does mean, like, it's not one device. It's like a series of devices and services and everything. And even the fact that you can get all of your games, like the four generations of consoles games, on you, the, the service with um, the saved games, hopefully, will transfer everywhere. It's like it's starting, the, the, the strategy is starting to gel a little bit. And we still don't have all the details, but it's starting to gel. And you think like it's almost ambient gaming. It's not 
like one device. It's like the the gaming is everywhere you are. Kind of like uh, uh, um, ambient computing has been a thing for right. uh, uh, the past few years, right? That that and, yeah. yeah, and and that's where the services come in. For example, XCloud allowing you to you know I think a lot of people have a misconception that every game is going to be cloud only or that you know, people are only going to play in the cloud, but actually cloud is, is more of a addition to what people already, um, you know, to, to how people already play locally on their systems. So whether they're playing on a PC or, or a console and they, they want to continue playing on the go, perhaps on a mobile device or on a PC device, being able to sort of continue your gameplay with the same progression and the same save points on a different device, not only, you know, encourages people to play more and spend more time in the game, but for Xbox, it's, it's useful because it encourages them to spend more on the game, engage more on the game, especially mm. across, um, again, multiple platforms, but again, multiple services, for example, Game Pass, even Mixer or, or Twitch can play into that um, in terms of encouraging people to play more. And I think that's what it comes down to uh, for Xbox overall, getting people to play more, getting people to experience the games across the devices they have and tying them into this sort of this big ecosystem that they're creating. Mm. Yeah, I... I... I like the term ambient gaming. I think I might use it again. Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, you mentioned Mixer. The share button is, of course, has been on the PlayStation uh, 4 controller for a while. I don't think it, it was seeing a huge amount of use, but it's coming to the Xbox controller as an additional bu button. Mm -hmm. Does that also, I guess it does play into the, the strategy, we can imagine, um, of... Again, not just playing, but also watching and sharing and turning everyone into a streamer, as we've heard uh, in, sure. in many different places. Um, yeah, so I guess even the share button is part of that strategy of getting gamers and games everywhere. Right, and, and, and the share button on PlayStation as well has been quite useful, not just for sharing screenshots and videos, but you know, getting people to, to kind of jump into games with people as well. And I think mm -hmm. that what Xbox wants to try and do is... Yes, everyone can be a streamer. Everyone can be a you know a, a great photographer in game. But at the same time, they want to create experiences where maybe someone is playing. Uh, someone is on Facebook on PC. They see their friend playing a game that they've shared through a video or a screenshot, and they can sort of jump in on that PC and play with their friend who's on an Xbox console, for example. Right. Uh, so, so it wouldn't just be for sharing screenshots or or start streaming, but it could be like sharing your game and getting people to jump in. Right, it's all about the social experience and how you can expand on that. And yes, uh, photographs and videos is one aspect, but then of course, the game itself is is its own uh, mm. sort of uh, social experience. And I think that uh, having that share button there will encourage people to to again spend more time in the game, which leads to more engagement overall. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't think of that. Um, all right. Well, uh, that is Series X and the uh, so the two potentially two consoles. We guess there's going to be two, but we'll see more uh, of that at E3. Uh, as I mentioned, Senua's, Senua's Sacrifice is the first next gen game announced. Um, on the PlayStation side, we also had a next gen PlayStation Five game announced. Uh, Godfall is from Gearbox Publishing. It's a looter slasher, which is solo or co-op. And uh, we didn't see a lot of it. There was a lot of flashy armor and uh, some 
jokey dialogue. It's Gearbox Publishing. It's not Gearbox Developing. I can't remember the name of the developer. Uh, it looked good. It's not coming only to PlayStation 5, though. It's not an exclusive. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that looked kind of interesting. Uh, Ghost of Tsushima also got a big trailer. Uh, it's not reveal, of course. We've seen the game before. It continues to look incredible and it, it is definitely one of my most anticipated games of 2020 it's coming out in the summer which was uh, so the date reveal was the big thing um yeah so playstation also had its lot of smaller but still interesting announcement anything to add to those two daniel um, I think, yeah, I mean, the, the God War announcement was just a quick teaser. Not much you can really glean from that, but uh, you know, from what I've been hearing, Sony is only investing in PlayStation 5, not just from a first-party perspective, but from a third-party perspective too. So I think that we will start to see uh, more titles announced for PlayStation 5 specifically. Uh, PC, I think, is, is a given uh, with third parties these days, but I think that the console exclusivity will be there you know, the big selling point for, for PlayStation. And so you think that uh, Godfall might be uh, exclusive to Sony on the console side? Right. I mean, maybe it's a timed exclusive or a... Uh, right, right, uh, right. Or, or just a permanent one, but, but it's definitely, you know, I think Sony cares a lot more about the console side than, than PC. Mm. And so if, if we do see third-party exclusive titles, I would also expect that, yes, they, they come to PC in some capacity, Um and so this one's coming to the Epic Game Store. It's, uh, you know, Sony is going with a very, I mean, they, they are a bit more traditional compared to Microsoft. They are, you know, uh, uh, creating sort of these generations as they always have. Uh, so there's, there's, a, there's a bit less of a blur between these generations. Uh, there is backwards compatibility with PlayStation 4, of course, but, you know, they, they want to sort of define um, this generation as the next generation. And so that's why they're investing in content so heavily, especially in the first year. Uh, what do you think of the play? It seems like PlayStation is approaching the next generation in a more traditional manner than Microsoft is. And it might be that we don't have the details yet, but of course, in the previous generation, that has served uh, Sony very well. The Xbox, of course, had that disastrous launch strategy which they had to pivot from very quickly mm -hmm. uh, for the xbox one and sony was just focusing on the console the games the gamers that's what we're here for uh, and of course microsoft is now doing something a little bit different but still very um, targeted towards gamers uh, but sony seems to just be approaching uh, the launch of playstation 5 as it has other consoles before it's just one box you buy the games or at least that's what sure. we've seen um do you think it's going to be the case or do you have any insight on what sony might be preparing maybe not hasn't announced yet or um you know what what do you expect i guess not necessarily what you've heard which is confidential but uh sure. what do you expect i mean what you said i think is along the right lines in terms of the traditional cycle that, that sony likes to have um there's obviously going to be some forward thinking here in terms of cloud services. They talked about how they want to expand PlayStation Now, and the price drop early this year was was sort of part of that. And there is um, sort of this understanding from Sony internally that you know they have this very large hundred million user base on console that are there for not just their very uh, successful first party titles, but for third party titles too. And they've been able to monetize all of that user base uh, through online services such as PlayStation Now. 
sorry, PlayStation Plus, right. uh, and, and PlayStation Now. And so they've got about 40 million plus paying users uh, on PlayStation Plus. And so what they want to try and do is retain that user base over to PlayStation 5 and transition them smoothly um, to to that new sort of um, platform without, you know, giving people a reason to uh, join other competitor either platforms or devices such as PC. And so I think that where, for example, Microsoft has been a lot more open in bringing their games to PC or Game Pass, I think Sony is going to sort of protect their first-party titles and use that as a, as a leverage to say, well, okay, look, you know, in a similar way to how Nintendo always does, if you want to play sort of the best first-party games, you'll need a PlayStation 5, and, and that's the best way to, to experience them. And I guess they can leverage the PlayStation Now, as you said, but they've been reluctant to add uh, games as they come out um, to yeah. the streaming service. I, I, I don't know if that... I, I guess they can easily change that. They can uh, start with the idea that they're going to get their games on the console and you need to own the console and maybe the... the premium games will come to the streaming service later or the when we say streaming service it's important to remember that playstation now is a streaming and just subscription service period you can also install the games um, that you get on that service if they're compatible with your device meaning playstation 4 games we guess it's going to be the same with playstation 5 and since playstation 5 is going to be compatible with playstation 4 then it's going to be a large library of games um but I my instinct would tell me the Game Pass is such a compelling uh, offer on Microsoft's side. Can Sony uh, keep resisting the uh, uh, necessity to put very recent games on a subscription service? I guess they they can because they have a very strong hand this generation. If they can, they continue doing that for the next generation. We don't know, I suppose, but. Uh... Yeah, I mean, we don't know, but but also I think Sony understands that they have this very large user base already, and they want to try and retain that over to PlayStation Five, and so you know the, the first party titles there will be used as sort of a, uh, and, and the third party titles too will be used as, as a reason for people to buy into this this new ecosystem, this new platform, and I think PlayStation Now will will play a role as sort of a uh, similar to. You know how, how xCloud allows people to extend their gameplay from console PC to other devices um, or other sort of uh, progression states. I think that's what Sony will try and do with their subscription service mm. uh, to allow PlayStation 5 players to sort of extend their gameplay uh, to other devices and platforms. So I guess, yeah, PlayStation Now is kind of a... Uh part of the uh, strategy, but a, a smaller part than Xbox Game Pass is on Microsoft's side, where the Game Pass is like the centerpiece of the strategy, it seems. The centerpiece on Sony's uh, 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 side is the big first party or exclusive games that if you want to play them, guess what? You have to buy the box. And I think it's something that they can afford to do, or at least it sounds like a sound strategy i'm not I, I i'm not getting a vibe of oh my god what are they doing it's mm -hmm. something that they can shift from easily if it's not working out and and the uh, subscription xbox game pass is uh getting a lot of success but as a st starting point it seems like a sound strategy on sony's part um 
All right, let's talk about a couple of other things. Um, first, since we're on platforms, there were a couple of very, in my opinion, cringy Stadia ads at the show. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the Stadia launch has been such a disaster. I was expecting it to be a beta, but every week it seems there is another story that puts it lower in the esteem of, of gamers, I think. Um, I've been consist consistently saying this is not the uh, uh, end of the story for Stadia because once you can just press a button on YouTube and play, that is an enormous advantage that Google can leverage to um, uh, uh, push Stadia. But it's still difficult as a launch, more difficult than we would have expected. Um, do you have any thoughts on, on Stadia as a competitor in the, as we enter next year, the next generation? Mm -hmm. Well, as you say, the, the potential is there. So Stadia, you know, could be sort of this very big cloud gaming platform in the future. Right now, as you say, it is, it is a very much a, a beta launch, a very, you know, only access sort of thing. Um, I think Google is learning that, you know, content is, is king, as, as people say. I know it's a cliche. But also that, you know, they are starting from scratch and they don't really have the, the content, especially first party or unique software. Uh, that can appeal to people uh, in the same way that, for example, xCloud can, because Xbox already has this this user base. They already have you know a large library of games across Xbox, Xbox 360, Xbox One, uh, and now Series X, and they can tie that sort of ecosystem and library uh, to to players to allow them to to you know play games in the cloud that they already own. Mm. Where Stadia is a completely separate, disjointed service right now, um, which actually is even uh, doesn't compete as well with Nvidia's GeForce Now, which which um, integrates with Steam games. So you can actually play your Steam games on, on GeForce Now, but on Stadia you have to buy the game again. Oh, I, I think didn't realize big... this. On on GeForce Now you can play the yeah. games you already own on Steam because they they essentially run it as kind of a PC compatible thing and you yeah okay i see i right. didn't realize so, this is great yeah so yeah i mean there's 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 that aspect to geforce now which i think is quite appealing to people uh geforce now is still sort of in this uh, trial stage so right. it's, it's not it's not popular yet so it's not kind of out yet uh you need to sign up to it and then kind of get accepted but stadia is out and it doesn't tick all the boxes i think for mm. the the demographic it's going after yeah. i think if stadia was going after maybe the mobile gaming audience or, or maybe a, a semi-casual PC gaming audience, it might find more success. But the business model it's using, the games it's promoting, they're all targeted towards this, you know, this hyper-active um, console gamer person who already has an Xbox, already has a PlayStation, or maybe already has a Steam. And there are better services out there that would serve them better than what Stadia currently offers. So I think it's a very uphill battle. Uh, I think Stadia... First-party studios themselves are running very behind in terms of the content mm. that they want to put out. You know, we might not see anything for two, three years, and by that time, it, you know, it, who knows where Stadia would be uh, right. as a as a service. I, I think there is. I mean, you're right. It, there is definitely potential. It's uh, they're not there yet, not by a long shot. I do think, however, that the partnership with um, Ubisoft, which has been made 
public and potentially the partnership with EA, I think they're working with Stadia or is it with Microsoft for their Atlas streaming thing? Um, I, I'm, I'm wondering if their Stadia isn't also aiming at offering the service as a kind of white box, white label, uh, white box service for other uh, developers, which might be useful for them. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, there's there's a lot of competition in that thing. And uh, yeah, we'll see how that turns out because it seems everything Stadia is doing, Microsoft can do better. But um, right. we'll see. And what you said about sort of the white box offering is certainly true, where publishers can get their own store. And obviously Google will take a, a small cut, but they also run the cloud backend and the yeah. you know the, the game itself. So it's it's certainly an option, similar to how how XCloud would be for publishers. Mm. And I think that that is why companies like Ubisoft they don't have their own cloud gaming service uh, initially or you know themselves um, would be willing to sign up to to Google's platform and why they're sort of supporting it day one. Mm. Um, and by the way, if you don't know, um, there is a bunch of demos available on Steam from games announced at the Game Awards, which is really interesting. It's going to be like for a couple of days. Uh, you can download the demos and, and play them. Um, I think this is a, a, something that we, we have been inexor inexorably uh, heading towards as people stay home more and more and watch the announcements and just want to experience the things like the people who are there. Um, but in a world where game streaming is a reality, um, this is even safer for developers and easier. You just run your games on the cloud and, and people can just start playing. Of course, if, if uh, 15 million people start playing your game uh, right when it's announced, it's going to be a problem. So I'm guessing there's going to be some kind of uh, um, uh, uh, stop gap like you have to pay to be part of like the the uh, uh like the blizzcon ticket right it, it's something that i guess uh can happen if you have the ticket you can stream the games so that not the whole world does it and, and destroys the servers but uh that was an interesting move by keely and the game awards and i think it's gonna increase possibly even at events like e3 next year um, all right, let's talk about the games that were announced. There were a lot of them. As usual, there are like world premiere uh, on the Game Awards. And there's a few that I noted. Um, and we can talk about those or others that you might have uh, uh, noted as well, Daniel. But we're not going to talk about all of them. Um, Bravely Default is coming. Bravely Default 2 is coming to the Switch on 20, in 2020. Um, the Warframe Empyrean update is available on PC now, which is pretty cool. It looks like a really uh, uh, interesting update. Um, Prologue is the game, the new game by Player Unknown. Uh, Player Unknown is Brandon Green, of course, of Player Unknown Battlegrounds. Um, that didn't show a lot, but of course, Player Unknown. When he does something now, we we are uh, interested. Um, Fortnite has a tie-in with Star Wars on Saturday, and they they said it's not just showing part of the trailer. There's a ton of interactive stuff happening within the game if you log in and and, and uh, experience that at that moment, which continues to be 
incredible and fascinating the way Epic is managing the success and the uh, kind of societal phenomenon aspect of Fortnite. Um, there's a couple of League of Legends-based games that are developed by partners, not by Riot themselves. There's Rune, Rune King, which is a single-player game, and Convergence, written weirdly, which is a platformer uh, kind of thing, so I guess also single-player. Um, they're resurrecting Dark Alliance with Dungeons & Dragons Dark Alliance, uh, which is a four-player co-op game coming in the fall. It's very Dungeons & Dragons-y, um, kind of a weird first-person fixed camera, not first-person, but camera fixed on the face trailer, which I think was an interesting idea, but didn't quite work out in the trailer, but um, it was it was interesting. Um the I mentioned the very cringeworthy Stadia ads because what they were advertising is not what players are experiencing. And uh, the people who are watching the Game Awards are acutely aware of that. Uh, Naraka Blade Point is really interesting, at least what we've seen in the trailer. It's like a Chinese-themed sword fighting game that kind of feels a little bit like Sekiro in the combat. Um, not a lot of details, but it's coming in 2020, and it was definitely one that piqued my interest. Um, there's The Wolf Among Us 2 by Telltale. So the second series of The Wolf Among Us. The game itself, of course, I'm sure some people will be... Um, happy about. But of course, the fact that Telltale is not entirely dead is, I think, good news for people who are cringing for them. Uh, cringing. <laughs> I'm looking at Vin Diesel and Michelle Rodriguez uh, bit. That's why I'm going cringe. Of course, I mean rooting for them, uh, but also yes. cringing because Telltale has been a little bit cringeworthy. Um, the Fast and Furious Crossroads announcement, I think, was cringeworthy. Um, Vin Diesel and Michelle Rodriguez talking about how they love games didn't feel very authentic and the game didn't look good at all. There was a lot of close-ups, um, but okay, we'll, we'll see what that uh, ends up being. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention Elder Scrolls Online is going to Skyrim next year. They're going to have a streaming uh, detailed presentation in January. Um, mm -hmm. And finally, the game of the year, a little bit unexpected, uh, it's uh, Sekiro. I didn't think they were going to go with Sekiro. But uh, I think, again, that makes a lot of people happy. Um, yeah, uh, uh, went through a lot there. Anything that uh, caught your attention? Uh, good question. There, there's, there's certainly a lot of announcements. Uh, I think that, you know, overall, it wasn't the worst show, but it wasn't the best in terms of, I guess, what people were expecting. But but just being able to, I think Jeff does a good job in, in showcasing a sort of broad range of games. I think that's that's what we saw here. Um, yes, the the Boston Fury stuff wasn't great. The uh, I think some of the games were probably not what people were expecting. Um, but I mean that that's my personal opinion. Mm. Uh, in in general, though, yeah, I think I think it was okay. The the uh, Naraka. Playpoint game, as you mentioned earlier, was was quite interesting to me, especially because it comes from a Chinese publisher, um, and I think that they are trying to sort of break the Western market, and a lot of that does come in the, you know, what can we copy that's popular in the West, which is why it didn't look very similar to maybe Sekiro or mm. um, Ghost of Tsushima, but yeah, in, in general, I think that, you know, there's there some good announcements, but uh, I think maybe last year's show was more better received 
Mm. Nothing mind-blowing. I think there's a lot of things that's being held for next year uh, around E3, probably for the announcements right. of the next yeah, generation. Yeah, I mean, right? well, at the end of the generation, you know, yes, there was some Xbox Scarlet stuff. There's, there's one PlayStation 5 game um, announced, and I think that's probably the most you're going to get in a sort of December uh, event one year before the launch of new consoles. And we're going to see, you know, all the kind of new next-generation titles at sort of maybe the launch events for the uh, new consoles, but also at E3 uh, next year. And, of course, Half-Life was one of the games that was the VR game, Half-Life Alex, was meant to be there, but was pulled at the last minute. So I think that was uh, disappointing to many. Mm. I wonder why. Um, they, they Were they not ready to show? It's, it's very strange. It was in all the trailers, but... Um, mm -hmm. yeah. well, I, I think the, the best explanation or speculation i can come up with is it was going to be a live demo uh with someone wearing, uh. with someone wearing a vr headset and perhaps there was some sort of technical error where they couldn't get it working on stage so because they didn't have maybe a backup trailer and the live demo was sort of the gimmick uh they just couldn't show it right that would make sense all right well the game is coming out in just a couple of months so or maybe three months but uh That's, I, I guess it could be a technical issue at the Game Awards themselves. Maybe it wasn't the right. game that wasn't ready. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the most likely thing here. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to mention that uh, Amazon is still working on their game New World, which uh, was mm -hmm. presented. Uh, still not a lot about it, but uh, Amazon is still in the race. And uh, there was a lot of feel good social efforts. Um, trailers shows or just little uh, presentations from facebook gaming which again to me felt a little bit i mean obviously the things they showed were great it's not like you know i i hate people who uh, try to fight depression or anything <laughs> but um it, it felt a little bit weird because facebook is such not a presence in gaming i feel even outside of um of the core gamer audiences, I don't really hear a lot of people think about games on Facebook anymore. There was a time with Farmville, of course, where it was very, very present. Um, but they have been trying to make efforts with streaming and other things. And this felt weird because it's like those things they're presenting are usually things that are um, kind of polishing the image of gaming companies that are trying to make themselves look better, right? But you're, you have to have something to make look better for it to be worthwhile from a, a, mm -hmm. a, an industry point of view. And I feel like Facebook doesn't have that thing. Now, again, of course, obviously it's great that they're helping veterans, but um, it felt a bit weird from an industry standpoint. But um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Facebook, as you say, they they had that popularity spike with sort of the, the Farmville era a few years back. And now they're trying to get back into... Because at the end of the day, they are one of the, one of the largest uh, social platforms in the world. And they, they want to sort of capitalize on that with Facebook gaming. Uh, I think Facebook is actually a lot more popular in Asia, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, for gaming than, um, you know, some other platforms that, that are popular in the West. Mm. And I think that they want to sort of replicate that success that they've seen in Asia on a global stage. And I think that's why they're, they're sort of focusing on that now. Yeah. But, but can you, I mean, I challenge the audience to tell me what game is good or popular on Facebook right now. 
Like, I cannot even... Like, on mobile, obviously, even without Apple Arcade, I could mention a few games that are very popular. On Facebook, I have no idea. You know, it's been mm-hmm. years since I've heard of, about anything. Right. And, and that's what I'm trying to pave it away from in terms of Facebook games. Mm. It's more about embracing, similar to how Twitch does, you know, embracing the, the broader gaming community and right. positioning Facebook as sort of the platform for the games that people just play normally on any platform. Right. So it's not necessarily that they want to have games on their platform. It's just trying to embrace the gaming community for them to use the service as a social network or streaming service or whatever. Sure. And, and they do have a Facebook games room platform already. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that is specifically for you know like games on Facebook, um, but that I mean that's more popular in Asia compared to here. Right. Okay. Um, well, I guess that is about it for the Game Awards. Um, we also had presentations from PlayStation and Nintendo, the State of Play, and the Nintendo Direct Indie World Showcase. Uh, honestly, not a huge amount uh, to discuss there. Uh, Resident Evil 3 Remake, the very rumored RE3 Remake, was confirmed as like the single player campaign for Project Resistance, which was a funny way of putting it. It's coming out on April 3rd. Um, A couple of other things, but honestly nothing to uh, write home about on the uh, PlayStation side. Not a lot to write home about on the Nintendo side either. There was an interesting, not controversy, but kind of take that people had, which I understand, which is Gleamlight, a game coming early 2020, looks an awful lot like Hollow Knight. Awful lot. Like, it's it's not just inspired at this point. And Bacon Switch looks horribly, like, overcooked. Uh, it's also coming yeah. in, in summer 2020. So that was a little bit like, hmm, all right. Yeah, I mean, I think you can expect that these days with uh, the amount of games being uh, developed. Yeah, but it in was indie boys. It, it was so similar. Like it's not a game inspired mm-hmm. in uh, gameplay style. It's the looks are like it's impossible to look at this and not think, oh, well, well, I guess this is just like that other game. It felt a little bit like not quite, but almost like a um, you know a, a, a Chinese copy mobile game of sure. another existing game. Not quite there, uh, but yeah. So that was a bit. I don't know. No. I think what they'll try and do is differentiate it through a, oh, it's it's like this game, but you know we've added this twist or this feature mm. or all this feature. Yeah. I think that's kind of what some some devs have been doing. Yeah. Um, and the survivalists was announced. Uh, it's a niche audience, but the escapists is a pretty popular game um, of prison breaking breakout <laughs> prison breaking um and that's a survival game that's the uh um take the 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 escapists team take on survival games and of course axiom verge 2 is coming all of those games are 2020 uh, axiom verge 2 is full 2020 that was kind of a um their big indie announcement for the end of the um uh, presentation All right, let's go to more stuff. Uh, There's one thing I want to talk about, and that is Outer Wilds. Uh, A lot of people have talked about it. I haven't. Have you you played it, Daniel? I have not. I've heard good things about it, but I haven't played it. Listen, uh, it came out uh, in May, I believe, and a lot of people talked about it, and I tried it, and as often is the case... 
I played it for an hour and hated it. I was like, this game does not want me to play it. The controls are difficult. I'm lost. I'm getting murdered in different ways. And I hate it. And people kept saying, it's an awesome game. It's an awesome game. You have to play it. It's magical and all of that. And I ended up playing it again. I started again a couple of weeks ago. And oh my God, were they right. It is a wonderful, wonderful wonderful experience. For those who don't know, I'm not going to talk too much about it because it's a game that needs to be experienced. Um, it, it, it is not, it is heavily spoilerable because everything about it is what you learn about it. That's the whole stick. Uh, it's an exploration game where you are in, you wake up on a planet um, where you are, well, you're an alien. It's a tiny planet. You get into your wooden spaceship, uh, uh, lift off and start exploring the solar system, which is like a, a, a tiny version of a solar system where planets are a couple of dozen kilometers away. So you can get to one in a couple of minutes and they're all weird and different. And you explore that solar system and learn about um, what has happened before and what is happening right now. And it's... I'm not going to say any more about the the story-ish part of it, but I've never quite seen or played a game that lets you that makes you the player the center uh, uh, improvable element of the game because everything you do in the game there is no upgrades, there's no improving your stats, there's nothing like that. It's just exploring and finding out about elements of the physics or story or uh, actions that make you understand the world and that make you able to do things within the game. And every one of those discoveries is enchanting and wonderful and makes you feel like your mind has been blown or you are uh, uh, you have been awarded a, a piece of knowledge that makes you uh, um, like enlightened in the context of this world. It is unique and beautiful and everything in the experience is geared towards making you feel that what which the uh, developers wanted you to feel the graphics the music which oh my god is incredible uh the controls which i hated initially the controls are part of that the different planets the design of um the, the planets i again don't want to say more because it's a game that should be experienced but this year feels like a year where there are Many very good games, but not a few that are uh, uh, obvious best games of the year. Um, maybe there's like 10 that people keep talking about. And like the other years, there's like three or four and, and everything else is also very good. Um, it, I feel like this game is being a little bit forgotten or not getting its due because the other excellent games are a little bit more visible. Uh, of course, a lot of people have been talking about it, but but I feel like in the end of the year rush, it's getting, it's like just not well known or uh, 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 visible enough that it's getting mentioned. So I wanted to mention it because I discovered it and it's one of the best interesting 
games I've ever played. So, Outer, outer Wilds. Don't mistake it for Outer, outer Worlds. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and by the way, Outer Worlds is the Outer Worlds. Outer Wilds is just Outer Wilds. Um, so, uh, yeah, the one thing I will say, when you first take off, uh, it's very likely that you're going to be nudged towards a specific planet. If you find that planet frustrating, just go anywhere else you want. Just explore. You have complete freedom. Don't feel like you have to go to one specific place. And that's what led me to dislike the game initially. Uh, and someone, a couple of friends told me, no, 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 you don't have to do that. Just go anywhere you want. And that opened it up for me. So just the one piece of advice. Oh, and use the autopilot as well. That makes everything easier. There's an autopilot option when you have lifted off. Use that when you go to um, a different planet. You select it, autopilot, very easy. All right. I hope I, I've made you want to play it. Um, I'm Everyone on in the audience and also you, Daniel. I hope you will yeah. buy it and try it out. No, I mean, the way you described it, it's certainly interesting. And it's, uh, I mean, to be honest, it's, it's been on my list of games to play. For some reason, this year, I haven't been playing as many titles as I want, I think. Um, I don't know how to best to describe it, but, you know, I, I've been playing games like um, you know, Crash Team Racing or Untitled mm. Goose Game or uh, even Ring Fit Adventure. So it, it's more kind of like these, these casual laid-back titles, and I haven't really got into a lot of the uh, core games that have come out this year, and I think that that's um, adding to my black, my backlog for 2020. Yeah, I, there are many of those as well. I started Disco Elysium, which is also its own mind-blowing experience, and it's right, incredible. Yeah. But uh, what do you think of it so far? I, you what? Sorry. What, what do you think of it so far? Oh, it, it it is incredible. I've only played an hour, but like it's immediately kind of what am I playing? This is <laughs> this is crazy and interesting and. Um, but, you know, I feel like Disco Elysium is getting its due. It got two awards at the Game Awards. Yeah. And, and where whereas Outer Wilds isn't getting... It feels like they're very different, but kind of the same uh, level of interesting and new and in innovative and, like, expanding what games can be. Um, but, yeah, cool. definitely. And I, I want to play more Control as well. I, I played a few hours of that, maybe, I don't know, five, ten hours, and that was great. And, yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's like, this year especially, I felt like... Last year, I could play the three or four big, big games uh, of the year and the years before as well. This year is like there's more and they're less, uh, uh, they're more com not confidential, but they're a little bit more indie-ish. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, but it's definitely interesting. Disco Elysium, I want to play more as well. All right. Uh, a few mixed bag Tidbits of news uh, to finish the show. Streaming. We were talking about streaming. Um, Twitch, very interesting. Twitch is signing exclusive deals with uh, streamers now. Of course, as always, competition is good. Mixer got a couple. Facebook got uh, Disguise Toast. And uh, Twitch is now. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, we need to lock in some of our streamers. So I thought that was interesting. And uh, Dr. Disrespect is going to get a potentially a TV show uh, about the origins of Dr. Disrespect. I'm not a Dr. Disrespect fan. I mean, <laughs> why not? Sure, go ahead. But that seems like, I don't know. I would be surprised if that is a compelling TV show, but we'll see. I think um, what's interesting about 
uh, those stories in particular, especially the, you know, uh, sort of exclusive deals. Yeah. yeah, the exclusivity deals, is that this is actually something that I myself have, have covered, um, but for the China market. And what's happening there is that there is, you know, a lot of competition within multiple streaming sites, and they are bidding not only on, on content, so, for example, esports tournaments. Uh, I mean, just to give one example, uh, Billy Billy, a sort of like a, a Chinese, um, uh, it's, it's sort of like a Japanese culture anime style website where they, you know, promote those type of videos, um, has bid over $100 million for the rights to broadcast um, League of Legends games mm. for the uh, World Championships in China. And so, you know, that's a very sizable amount, $100 million just for exclusive rights uh, compared to other um, platforms there. And then on top of that, not only do they acquire this content uh, for their platforms, they acquire players as well uh, through these sort of multi-year contracts to tie them to that platform to increase the appeal of uh, the platform itself. And then they monetize, obviously, through ads, through subs, through, uh, you know, uh, brands and, um, and um, other methods. And it's a very, very competitive environment. And I think Mixer sort of jumping in and trying to emulate that here is leading to the response that we see from Twitch, where they're, again, uh, trying to retain now the talent that they've yeah. built on the platform. You know, I wonder if uh, we're going to see game-level deals on uh, those streaming platforms as well. I, I know that the Overwatch League, which is a specific event, has signed on uh, Twitch uh, exclusively, at least for the first season, possibly for, I guess, for the second season as well. I don't know how it's go doing going forward. But a, a big get would be not a streamer, but maybe a game um, on Mixer or, God forbid, Facebook streaming. Um, mm -hmm. That that is something that would be really interesting, I think. But um, it's already happening in China, so why not? Uh, although, as you said, it's it's not the entirety of league; it's the tournaments, right? Someone who just yes. wants to stream league, yeah. So it's not it's not just uh, the entire game. I wonder if that would be that could happen. You restrict your audience a little bit, but at the same time, if someone with deep pockets wants you to, uh, it would have to be a big game that would attract viewers obviously it can't be a small uh, uh game that is just launching but um, i think the amount of money would be too high and also mm -hmm. you would piss off streamers on that platform who want to stream that game who then can't because it has an exclusivity deal with another streaming platform so um right. yeah so so game content probably not but i think certainly streamers themselves and then uh various content such as esports tournaments or esports right. sort of events um, like I said, the Overwatch League, for example. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, game uh, features and uh, development. The Bioshock, a new Bioshock game is in development. So that's good news for a lot of people. Fortnite is adding split screen for duos and squads, which is, I wonder if it's coming to the Switch. I didn't read through enough to know that, but it's uh, really cool. And I love the way they're continuing to add features that mean more people <laughs> are going to be able to play. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of 13-year-olds who are going to be uh, experiencing the joy of couch gaming as we did when we were younger, or at least I did with uh, fighting games, for example. That's really cool. Uh, there is a Battle Royale mode on Forza Horizon 4, The Eliminator. Um, I just find it funny that Battle Royale is 
coming to Forza Horizon, but that was, it's not the first racing game that does it, I think. Um, Bayonetta and Vanquish are getting a 10th anniversary bundle on consoles, PS4 and Xbox One, uh, two of the most celebrated action games of the last 10 years. Uh, if you haven't played them, I suspect you might want to look at that. And um, Sony is switching from an exclusive for MLB The Show, the baseball games, uh, into a multi-platform, which I was surprised about. They, it's, a, it's a Sony... Is it a Sony game? Is it a third... It's always been a, a Sony exclusive, um, but it's not... It, it's like still an exclusive deal, but it's also coming... Like it's still a Sony game, but it's coming to other consoles, right? Is that correct? Yeah, it, it's it's been developed by Sony internally. I think they're San Diego uh, studio, mm. and uh, they distribute it themselves for PlayStation platforms. And so now the deal uh, would cover multiple platforms. So Sony still benefits from that deal because they are still the developers. They would still be the the publishers, dis distributors. Um, but bringing it to more platforms, I think one that was probably a condition of um, the whoever runs the MLB mm. uh, license and. I think Sony would would have, um, you know, preferred maybe to pay a bit less uh, and be happy with that condition too. Mm. I wonder if if it doesn't also have to do with the fact that uh, the market for baseball games is, I'm guessing, mostly in America, although also in Japan, but mostly in America, and the Xbox is stronger in America than in the rest of the world. So maybe it didn't make as much sense for Sony. I, I don't know. It's just speculation. But uh, So it's not like all of a sudden Sony is following Microsoft in the uh, way of getting games on every platform, obviously. Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah. No, I mean, I think they'll do it for games that make sense. Right. And for third party, especially. Um, I, don't, I don't think that they see PC as a threat for you know, third party exclusive titles, mm. as I mentioned earlier in the show. So, you know... I, when it makes sense, Sony will do it. When it's something they want to sort of promote as only on PlayStation, they'll 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 continue doing that. Right, which is still a little bit of a shift. They used to be extremely pr protective of their properties, right. but that might be a little bit of an opening. And, and that's something that Nintendo um, still to this day are very very strict about in terms of mm. you know if you want to play Nintendo games, you, you have to get a Switch. You can't right. really play them elsewhere. The only exception to that really in a big way has been their mobile push. And again, that's more of a um, addition to their um, lineup as opposed to traditional games. Mm. Um, all right. Other news from the industry. Star Citizen is at $250 million funding, even more than that. Um, it continues to be incredible and the game is still, you know, not out at all. The solo campaign, Squadron 42, is supposed to be coming out uh, and uh, second half of 2020. We'll see if that actually happens. But um, yeah, Star Citizen, still a phenomenon. Darksiders, uh, the um, Darksiders, not Origins. What was it? Genesis. There you go. Um, <laughs> this is still another dig at Stadia. But it was $10 more expensive on Stadia than on Steam. And again, what the hell is happening there? Um, Fallout 76 has another patch that breaks stuff. And PewDiePie says that uh, he has a poop game, which Apple doesn't want because it's, uh, in his words, too disgusting, which he's, of course, playing up. Um, okay, 
well done PewDiePie, I guess. It's not my thing, but sure. Have your poop game. It's available on Android, though. So if you want to play PewDiePie, well, it's not his game, but um, the poop PewDiePie game, uh, you can do that on Android. And lastly... Yeah, uh, uh, VR on Oculus Quest has hand tracking now as a beta feature, which is, again, even more incredible. It's still experimental. Um, it only works on like uh, UI browser and stuff like that. Devs are uh, getting access to the SDK now. But I think that's an important uh, step because it means you don't need controllers to control your VR games, which makes it even easier to um, access less expensive because you don't need to pay for the controllers, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, doesn't mean that everything is going to work without controllers, but that's uh, a, an additional option, which is important. Um, YouTube is uh, changing the way they demonetize violent video games because a lot of games are violent, but they're not like violent violence so they're saying now when violence is not the focus of the game or the video then you don't have to be classified as like as like a violent content so that's going to help a lot of creators to monetize um it seems we're going to see a battle royale mode in modern warfare call of duty modern warfare from this year uh, a bug might have revealed it and uh, finally uh, GOG Galaxy 2.0 is in public beta, so if you want to try it out, uh, you can. It's I've been uh, using it for a little bit. The main interesting aspect of it is that you connect all of your different accounts and it will show your entire library of game, which is really awesome, especially when you want to look for a game that you might not remember if you have it or not or where you have it. It works really well and uh, it's available to everyone. That's a lot of uh, little tidbits. Anything that uh, caught your fancy on all of those? Um, I think the, the VR segment was quite interesting because, you know, we've just seen the announcement of uh, Half-Life Alex VR. And what's quite interesting there is that it's led to an uptick in sales of VR headsets, mm. uh, not just the the Oculus Quest, but, you know, the Valve Index as well. Bearing in mind, we're talking about, you know, $500 to $1,000 headsets. Um, it's still a fairly niche market, and 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 you have to bear in mind that when I say there's an uptick in sales, I'm still talking fairly low numbers. Uh, so it's not like, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions being being moved. Uh, but it is it is quite a, a good sign for uh, VR in the future. And I think that, you know, Half-Life Alex itself is sort of like a... Um, I wouldn't say killer app, but you know, it's 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 sort of this game which is going to appeal to um, core PC players who, who you know experienced the Half Life IP in the past and have sort of these um, you know already maybe have a high end or, or mid mid end gaming rig that they're going to upgrade to to experience the next chapter in the Half Life uh, sort of franchise. In yeah, I of, think. Uh... The, the way I put it was, it's not quite a killer app, but it's the first VR game that, uh, or VR app, that a lot of gamers are just going to want, which is already a, an right. important step. Yeah, and, and that's why you're seeing this uptick in, in sort of sales of, of VR headsets. And I think at the end of the day, there's still a lot of barriers to entry for VR. So price being the biggest one, usability, uh, you know, the quality as well. Um, in fact, content is another big one. Even with Half-Life, there's still... That's only one game, um, and I think that if developers and 
hardware manufacturers can continue to solve those uh, barriers and break down those barriers to, to allow more people to enter the VR game space, uh, it, it could do well in the future. But right now, yeah, we, we are still talking about a fairly niche group of people that are buying these headsets that are going to play Half-Life uh, VR when it comes out next year. Um, but ultimately, it's still a positive sign for the industry. Yeah, I can't remember where, like, the exact details uh, of the latest numbers I saw on VR, specifically, I think it was on Quest. There was an increase of 30% year over year um, money spent on, I believe it was Quest, maybe it was the entirety of Oculus, but the rub was it's still about $2 billion, which is like a, a, a tiny fraction of even like what one massive game does on a traditional console. So it's improving, of course, but it's still very small as, right. a, a, yeah, very small weight. All right. Well, I guess that is uh, going to be it for all the news we had to discuss. Thank you so much for being with me, Daniel. It was a pleasure to have you back. Um, I am a little bit sad that you didn't make one joke. I guess you're a little bit shy in, in voice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess it's more of a, you know, it, Written in the moment. Medium, yeah. Right, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, and that's... Um, and in the moment, I guess, yeah, as well. Uh, where can people go if they do want uh, your uh, jokes and other insightful analysis? I guess Twitter is the bet best place? Yep, Twitter's the best place. Uh, I assume you'll have it in the description. Yep. And uh, so just feel, feel free to check out the description and you can find me there. Um, it, it's great for people who are interested in sort of the uh, global gaming trends, but specifically I dig down into China and uh, the Asian markets. Um, so that's of interest. Feel free to to, um, to follow. And of course, as you mentioned, uh, I, I do try and keep things uh, funny when I can. So uh, if you like bad jokes, then yeah, again, it's worth a follow. Excellent. For me, it's not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find this show and comment at frenchspin.com. And uh, of course, next episode will be our Game of the Year discussion. That will be an interesting one. I hope you join us for it. It should be um, in just a few days, maybe a week, something like that. Uh, so I hope you enjoy that as well. Thank you, Daniel, for being with me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back in a few days. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 